Welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We have current Tri-City Storm USHL head coach Anthony Noreen coming on the podcast. Uh, Anthony's a great guy, uh, grew up in the Chicago area, played his junior hockey in the North American League for the Springfield Junior Blues before embarking on a career playing collegiately at Wisconsin Stevens Point. Uh, right after he was done playing, actually, at Stevens Point, he became an assistant coach there uh, and has worked his way up the ladder. He was an assistant coach at Youngstown in the USHL, became the head coach of Youngstown in the USHL, where he was named the USHL Coach of the Year for one of the years that he was there. Uh, tried his uh, tried his game in the pro game, where he was a head coach for the ECHL Orlando Solar Bears for a couple years, uh, before now coming back to the USHL, where he's currently the head coach of the Tri-City Storm. So, uh, great episode here. Uh, Anthony's a great guy with a lot of great insight, but before we do get to him, let's pass it on over to the talent of the podcast, Jeff Lavecchio. Jeff, what's going on today? I'll tell you what, Telf. I was obviously excited to talk to another guest, but Tri-City Storm head coach wasn't wasn't uh, sure how I was going to feel about that because I hated playing against Tri-City in the USHL. Obviously, Anthony has nothing to do with that, but they we won the Anderson Cup my third year in Omaha in the USHL, which is the regular season title. So we won it that year, and then we got bounced in the first round by Tri-City. It was always one of the hardest buildings, that building in Lincoln, to play in in the USHL. I got kicked out of a game in Tri-City for headbutting a guy, and then the fans <laughs> spit on me and threw a beer bottle at me. So... I got a I got a hate hate relationship, not a love hate, just a straight up hate hate relationship with Tri City. But wow, I mean, you know, this guy's unbelievable. I mean, the USHL is like the most coveted junior league in, in the US and, and probably one of in the world, you know, obviously. And if you're gonna be a head coach there, you gotta have the stuff. And, you know, this is my first time ever coming across Anthony, but wow, like what a guy. I love his philosophies. Um, the way that he wants to surround himself with the best people, like not just yes, man. Like he just seems like a guy who's going places and, and, and a coach that I would really have liked to play for in the USHL. In fact, when we got off the phone, I said, wow, well, I know now if any of my guys have choices, I'll be sending them to Anthony Noreen or to the Chicago steel with Ryan Hardy. Like, I just like the way that those two guys think. Yeah. He's the man. Like he's, he's a, an awesome coach, an awesome person, human being. We share a mentor and, and Will Nickel and, and I know Will thinks uh, the world of him too. Um, and you'll hear that uh, a little bit about that on the podcast, but I talk about this story on the podcast too, but I remember legitimately watching his team in Youngstown playing once and I could not believe how hard they played. You know, like everybody plays hard, but I remember just sitting there and being like, holy crap. And it's one of those games where, you know, there's a lot of talk right now in in the hockey world at the higher levels about the need for being physical. You know, like, do you need to really be that physical anymore in terms of like, you know, checking and, you know, stuff like that. And and I feel like the game has kind of like gone a little bit away from that where obviously stick pressure and back pressure and, you know, that's a a different way to to being hard to play against. Um, But man, like the physicality that his teams played with, I mean, they just had to be so hard to play against and uh, it was something to watch. That's for sure. 
that's really cool. And that's something that's very interesting because, you know, I haven't seen a USHL game while I was playing. I, I mean, even in college, I don't know if I saw one. So I probably didn't see a USHL game from my last year at 19 years old until this year when uh, Hardy invited me to watch a Chicago Steel game. What's up, Ryan? Absolute beauty. Love you. Um, and I was very surprised at how the game had changed. Obviously it's been yeah. a long time, but I mean, wow. Like, I mean, you remember, like it was so physical when we played, you had to finish your check every single hit you finished. And I feel like it was the complete opposite when I watched that game for both teams. I can't remember who the steel was playing, but it was like one out of 10 checks were finished. So then I flip that on its head and you say that Anthony's teams play hard like that. Well, if everyone's playing one way, but then you're out there kind of rocking the boat and now you're getting back to that old school physicality, kids aren't used to playing that. It probably sucks to play against those teams that are going out there and finishing their checks and being mean and playing, being hard to play against. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting debate, right? Because, you know, a lot of the analytics will kind of show you, uh, you know, the team, again, one of the biggest things is if you have a lot of checks and you don't have the puck very much, right? Which is totally true. Um, And a lot of people now are kind of talking about physicality being out of the game as, as being a good thing. But I, I, I question that. I really do because put yourself back in the game. If you know you're going to get hit, that's a mental thing. You know, if you know you're playing against a team that plays physically and you're playing against a team that you know you're going to, you know, get beat up and bruised up, like that, that's hard to play against, man. And, uh, you know, I, I, I see the value in going a little bit away from, you know, it's speed now and, and stuff like that. But also I, I still, I still think that physicality has a place in the game today. I really, really do. I mean, I think that it all, it's situational, like with everything. I mean, I, I think that if you're within a stick length away from a guy and he's still got the puck and you can hit him without taking yourself out of the play and you can be closer back to your own net when you're going to hit him, yeah, by all means, run him. Um, but like it's it, that analytics thing you said, it's kind of like chicken and the egg. Like are you – you don't have the puck so you're hitting more. You know what I mean? So you're going to have to hit more. Or is it the other way around? You're hitting a lot, so you don't have the puck. Like it, it kind of, it, it sounds like those teams that have higher hits don't have the puck, so that's why they're hitting. You know? Um, yeah. Know. So it's, like, I don't think like if you're if you're judging physicality, first of all, are you going to the mall later? That's what I was trying to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You, you nope. kind of yeah. Once you're saying, are you? I was like, is he going to say it? Is he going to say it? Billy Madison, what's yes. up? Yes. Um, Miss Lippy's car <laughs> is green. It is. Um, Billy likes to drink soda. <laughs> okay, we got to stop. Okay. Uh, you want some of those milk sideburns? <laughs> I really hope people that are listening to this have seen Billy Madison, because if not, this is the worst 30 seconds of podcast radio ever. And they're um, dead to us. And they're dead to us. But, you know, I don't think the metric in, in analyzing um, physicality should be in the amount of hits, you know, because it, it, there is a lot of truth to it. Hey, like if you're hitting a lot, then that means you, you don't have the puck very much. You know, you're on defense and obviously it's a puck possession game now and you want to have the puck more. Um, I'm just saying, I feel like the watching the NHL playoffs right now, and we talked about this on a previous podcast, look at how physical these games are, you know, like there, there are not a lot of people that are passing up hits, 
you know, and, and it takes a toll. And that was one of the things in watching Youngstown when Anthony was coaching, like the team, even though it wasn't a seven game series, it was just a one game thing. And the team that they were playing against, you could tell by the second half of the second period and the third period, that team wanted nothing to do with the game anymore. The team that he was playing against, you know? So I just hope that people don't go so far away from physicality. Isn't good in the game. Um, from a checking standpoint, because um, I, I do, I do think there's a, a, a mental edge that you can gain, and I do think there's a, a wear you down um, kind of mentality that can help you win hockey games at the higher levels for sure. Yeah, and and, and I just like always trying to think of things from as many point of views as possible, and then I try and maybe put them together or choose whichever one I think is the best. But like I think about Chase Berger who we had on the podcast and his coach doesn't want them at Penn. He's the coach of Penn state. Chase played at Penn state. Now he's playing pro. Um, didn't want them finishing their checks unless they were like right on the guy. Like did not like told them, do not finish your checks. And that's super interesting too, because you know, I kind of had to play both roles throughout my career, depending on league and you know, what line I was on and things like that. And the games where I was on bottom, bottom six, third, fourth line, and I'm out there and my job is to like finish every single check, like make it hard to play against our team. Even though I'm playing maybe half the minutes as I was playing on the first two lines, I was dead by the end of the game because it takes a lot of toll out of you as the guy running around hitting guys. You know what I mean? But then I look at when I played over in Europe or top two line minutes and I wasn't finishing every check, I had way more energy at the end of the game, even though I'm playing less or playing more, you know what I mean? So it's kind of, it's really interesting. It's definitely interesting to think about. Yeah. I mean the old school versus the new school when it comes to that kind of stuff. And it's interesting that we're talking about this right now because actually in one of my text conversations, um, with a group that I'm in, uh, this point came up and I'll just read the text because I think it'd be easier to do that than for me to summarize it. And he says, okay, food for thought. At what point do NHL organizations go too far with sizes and a factor anymore? Can a lineup be too small? It's all speed. Go Mach three. I ask this because in the NFL, it's all about small, quick, spread everything out on offense. So defenses have to go smaller and quicker to match up. The Patriots seem to be saying, screw that. We're going to go big with their off season moves. Are they ahead of the curve once again? You know? So it's like, Hockey, football, sports is always changing. You know, it's always changing. And that's part of the beauty of it is that it's always changing. So, like, what are you doing to keep your core principles? But also, what are you doing to adapt to what is happening in the game as well? I just think that's such an unbelievable kind of, like, debate to have, you know? Yeah, I'm sorry. I watched The Office two nights ago, and it was an episode where Michael Scott is teaching Ryan the temp, like, how to be a good boss. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, adapt, react, readapt, apt. Or something like yeah. That. And that's all I could think of. I'm sorry. It's funny. I'm I saw ridiculous. you laughing on the other side and I was like, I see so what did I say? I'm sorry. But yeah, I mean, maybe it just comes to a point where you have your nucleus of your team already. And then you decide, do we want to be a hitting team? Do we want to be a fast team? Do we want to be in the middle? And you kind of just build it out with whatever you have to build it out. Maybe that's just kind of going to be where it goes. I don't know. Well, hey, again, people have won in many different ways, you know, and I think the I really do think that the best coaches have core principles 
you know, they have core principles that are non-negotiables. Like this is kind of what we're going to do. This is who we need to be as a team. But they're also not stubborn to the changing ways of, of athletics and sports in general because you know, the game has shifted a lot. And if you are out there going out there and trying to kill everybody all the time being physical, like that's, you know, you're not going to win, you know. And uh, But at the same time, if you're, <laughs> you know, if you're not physical at all, you know, are you too easy to play against? And then we've talked about it before. There's certain, you know, there's different ways to talk about being hard or being easy to play against too. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, that's why coaching is so cool because it's, it's not a science. I say this all the time. Coaching is not a science. It's an art. And hearing Anthony talk, like he's an artist, <laughs> you know, like he's freaking good, man. Like a lot of the stuff that he was saying, again, he, I think he's really, really good at what we're talking about, blending that kind of like old school core principle value, you know, mentality with the, hey, this is the way the game is today. And this is, you know, a way that we need to adapt to learn how to play it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I love everything he said. He seems like a great dude. And he also drinks green smoothies, which you guys will hear in a few minutes. But uh, green smoothies, what's up? <laughs> also, you know what I might have to do? I might have to put like uh, when we announce this podcast coming out next week, I might have to put like a Twitter poll and put a picture of you and him on there and see who uh, who, who people think are the best looking. Because in uh, in with the people that I texted about him to get some stories on him, that's a, a lot of what they were saying was like, hey, he's a good looking dude that uh, – you know, that, that one really was funny when he was an assistant coach in Youngstown, the owner actually wanted his face on all the posters and not the head coaches because <laughs> they wanted to market to a female crowd, but, um, that's pretty embarrassing hey, that's not, for, but that's not cool. I mean, let's just go with the guest is better looking than me. I got, I'm missing teeth. I haven't shaved in a minute. Uh, not playing anymore. Yeah. He's a better looking guy. Go with that. Interesting. Says the guy who doesn't wear a shirt on Instagram. Yeah, but I'll kick his ass in the gym. Better believe that. <laughs> I'm coming for you, Anthony. Uh, I like it. Well, um, we've talked enough here. Um, this was uh, this was awesome, man. This was such a great interview and such a great conversation with Anthony Noreen, again, one of the top young coaches in the game right now. Um, so without further ado, let's head on over to Anthony Noreen. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast – Anthony Noreen, head coach of Tri-City in the USHL. And uh, before we actually get to you, Anthony, I do have to say, I did a little, did a little recon, did a little intel, talked to some people that you've coached with in the past. And uh, I think that I actually might uh, make you and Jeff best friends right now, but I heard you're a big veggie smoothie protein shake guy in the morning. Is that, uh, is that true? <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, I get I get a lot of I get a lot of grief from the from the coaching community. I'm a little bit of a health and fitness nut. Um haven't eaten meat in I think it's eight years now. Um and yeah, I've got I've got a morning smoothie that like I don't think I could pay most people to drink. It's got about twenty <laughs> ingredients in it and I love it. Anyone else I've gotten to try it, not so much. Well, coach, let's hear these ingredients. Do share. <laughs> you really want me to go through all of them? Jeff would love you too. Oh, he's, yeah. he's a big smoothie oh. smoothie guy. Well, and, got and the people listening, you know, like I had kids listening. <laughs> what do you got? Yeah, I'm going Perfect. Uh, war, war, warrior protein powder, cacao powder, a uh, little bit of steel cut oats, goji berries, Ceylon cinnamon, uh, some green superfood powder, hemp hearts, chia seeds, maca powder, 
camu powder, acai powder, um, spinach, banana, almond butter, unsweetened almond milk. Wow. <laughs> so love that. That, that yeah. sounds like you're yeah. hitting everything. I, I love it. I, I got Yeah, a little bit of everything uh, in there. Have any of the kids that you coach tried it? No, they haven't. It's it's a little bit of one of those things. It's a it's a legend that the guys all ask about and want to know what's going on in it. But no, they have not tried it. Oh God, that's so funny. Well, I do have another thing from a little bit of my recon too. So obviously, this is a podcast, so so nobody can see it. But uh, I've been told by some of your USHL and some of the college guys that you might be the best looking guy in uh, in hockey today. And uh, actually, Curtis Carr, who you coached with in Youngstown, he was very appreciative of it because uh, he said that when you guys were coaching together, even though he was the head coach, you were the guy that was asked to be on all the marketing materials to hopefully get some of the. Feedback email crowd to the game so shocking shocking that curtis would be the one who would, who would bring that, that back <laughs> up, he, seems to bring it up. he seems to bring it up every single time we're in the same room together so that really shocks me <laughs> well is it true I, listen, he, he'd have to be the one to tell you. I can't uh, yeah, tell I can neither about. confirm nor deny. Okay, I see where that's exactly. going. So. <laughs> exactly. That's a yes. That's a yes. He's an 11. I can... <laughs> I can sense no, it. No, I think it's. I think it's way. Oh, I think. I think he's. I think he's hyping it up a little bit more than what it is. Uh, well, we'll have to. We'll, we'll have to let the jury decide. But uh, you know, I, like I said before, we're so excited to get you on here. One of the most well liked guys in the hockey community. And uh, but I want to take it right back because you know you grew up in Chicago, uh, same town that I grew up in what's up so just wanted to to ask you first kind of growing up in the Chicago area um you know how did you get into the sport was it a family thing or was it a Blackhawks thing how'd you how'd you fall in love with the game yeah I mean my my dad was first of all my dad was a coach so like that that helped certainly I had an older brother who played who got into it at a young age and uh my dad played some hockey growing up and it it was just kind of always his passion so uh as soon as I could walk I'm sure not unlike a lot of other hockey players as soon as I could walk I was on skates and um, it's funny, actually you had the first ever team I played on. I think it was the red team at Franklin park house league. Me and, and Butchie Letizia were on the same team. No and our way. Two dads coach, so another guest you've had on. Yeah. Like first ever hockey team we, we played. I think there were seven of us on the team. Michael Letizia was on the team. You might, Brett Adams was on the was okay. on team as well. So a little house league, three guys that you, you'd probably know. And, uh, yeah, like I said, mine and Butchie's dad coached the team and um, kind of went from there. At the time, Franklin Park was the Flames, and um, when the Flames moved out to center ice, moved out there, and uh, my dad and Bobby Catamatori coached us basically from when we were mites um, up until we were Bantams, um, at which point they kind of handed us over to, to Brad Saban and Chuck Lincoln held and um, played for them a year at the Flames and then with Team Illinois and um, wound up playing for Nick Polis, uh, as well. And yeah, that was kind of a youth journey. And, and I also played, uh, my dad coached the, the varsity team at Fenwick. So I, I went to Fenwick and I played, um, I played my freshman year, and my junior year at Fenwick. Um, you know, and, and then my senior year was when they put the rule in that you couldn't play both AAA and, uh, high school hockey in Illinois. So I played up to my junior year there. The old red team were you guys, that's a, that's an imaginative name. Were you playing against district five? <laughs> you know, it was like it was a house league, so you know it was like the red team, the orange team. The, the funny thing about it, I think there was like six teams in the league, but only five goalies signed up. So that one team was going to go no goalies. So 
my dad and, and Butchie's dad like volunteered that we were going to be the team with no goalies. So we just had a guy, we just went six skaters at all times. We went undefeated the whole year. And then in the championship game, we tied it and went to a shootout and we lost in the shootout with, with a player just playing a one-on-one from the blue line in on the shootout. That's incredible. <laughs> that's actually, that's hilarious. How, <laughs> so you guys were what, like six, yeah. seven years old when that happened? I mean, we had, we had to be five years old, yeah. six years old. I don't even remember. We, we were young. I know that it was, like I said, it was both of our first teams. Um, we always laugh when we talk because we, it was our first team when we played together. So that's unreal. Unreal. Well, two of the most accomplished, uh, junior coaches in the game this year, for sure. With, with you and Butchie, although I guess we got to call him Mike now, but, um, uh, that's, that's really, yeah, really we cool do have call Mike now. Yeah, I know a little bit more official, but, uh, yeah. So you, you, you know, you spent your time when youth hockey in Chicago, um, played a couple years playing in Springfield with the junior blues in the North American league. Uh, and then you went to Stevens point and played division three out there, which is a powerhouse. Obviously they won the national championship this year. Um, what was that experience like playing division three hockey? Yeah, it, it was awesome. I mean, Stevens point, uh, it's just a special hockey town. Like for anyone who hasn't, um, been there or seen it from afar, it's, it's as hockey town as, as you can be. I mean, the, the fans love it, whether you're in first place or last place, you walk out and it's, it's a sold out building every night. And, uh, uh, you know, you're kind of the Kings on campus. So it was, a obviously a story program got them got to play for one of the most accomplished coaches in, in, in college and certainly division division three history and Joe Balderota. And, um, it was a great time. I mean, obviously made some, some lifelong friends. We had a couple Chicago guys, a guy like Andrew Kankar, who's one of my closest buddies who you might know growing up playing in team Illinois and, yep. um, just guys from kind of across the country, a lot of North American league guys. Um, you know, who we battled against and fought and everything else over the years. And then we all went there and um, it was a special place I mean, a place we all still get back to whenever we can. And I was fortunate to stay and coach there for a couple of years as well. So, um, you know, true college hockey town and, and something I feel really fortunate, um, you know, to have been a part of and, and certainly a program I'm p- proud to be an alumni of. Can you talk about how good Division Three hockey is? Because something I see with with young kids is, you know, they see social media and all they talk about is D one, D one, and a lot of them have no idea a how hard it is to get to D one, and b how good Division Three hockey is. Like they just they don't get it. So can you talk about how competitive yeah. it is? The the, the levels. I mean, it's a little bit interesting. It, it's it's certainly similar to. to uh, the division one where there, there's a little bit of the haves and the have not, um, you know, there are some, some powerhouse programs that treat their players, you know, as well as any team does in all of college hockey. And then there's certainly some, some lower budget teams that maybe don't have as nice of arenas or don't have, have the same setup locker room wise and things like that. But, you know, I would just say that the one thing I would tell you about the Beatles point, I mean, they treated the players there when I was there. And still now, I mean, it was first class across the board as far as, equipment as far as how you traveled, um, as far as how the locker room setup is. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. And I, I think the other thing too, going in there and Jeff, you're right. Like a lot of us walked in as, as good as we knew that that program was, you still walked in and like, you know, we were pretty good players in the North American league. A lot of us are like, we just thought, okay, we're going to go in there. And you get there day one and you realize, man, these guys are really good. Like there's men on our team that are older. That's the other thing too. You got to remember a lot of these guys, like you're, you're going to play with 25 year old seniors, because most of the guys are going to age out. So they're men. 
and they're big and they're strong and they're physical. Um, and, and obviously have a lot of pride in keeping their job and not letting the new guys coming in from juniors take them. So it was, uh, you know, it was a competition right from day one. And I think it was eye opening for all of us when we got there. We had a, you know, obviously there's a reason we picked that program. Um, but like I said, I'll, I'll never forget walking in day one and, and not only looking at those guys, but skating with those guys. Um, and again, just having a whole new level of, of respect. And then, and then you go out and you play a team like a St. Norbert's, um, you know, at the time teams like superior and stout and some of these teams, and not only were they really good teams, but you look at a lot of their players went on and played pro hockey for a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, and they do a really good job of developing guys and, and moving them on as well. So it's, it's good hockey. Like it's, it's physical. It's hard. Um, it's tight checking. There's great, um, crowds and great atmospheres, especially when you get into those, some of those conferences that got got really good rivalries. And um, yeah, it's it's good hockey. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, it's great hockey and uh, a lot of really good coaches too. I mean, you know, I know that there's quite a few Division three coaches that you know could make the jump to Division one, but just kind of choose to stay at that level. Um, just uh, you know, a little bit more job security, not as crazy when it comes to the recruiting and and stuff like that. So yeah, the quality of the player is really good. The quality of the coach is really good. A lot of the programs, like you said, you know, they run it like a Division one program, um, where it's you know very serious and and guys want to get better and stuff. So yeah, I totally agree with you, and and think D three hockey certainly needs to be talked about uh, a lot more. So you played hockey at um, Wisconsin. Uh, Stevens Point, and then you actually uh, became a coach there not long after. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is we share actually a mentor when it comes to coaching, and that's with Will Nickel. Will coached me uh, in Chicago in the USHL. Uh, I consider him one of the best coaches that I've ever had. And uh, I wanted to share with you because, again, like before we talk with the people that are coming on here, I like to ask some questions to some people that are close to the people coming on. And, um, you know, I kind of asked Will about you and and asked if he had anything to say or any questions. And I want to actually just kind of like read you the text because I couldn't do it just. And for me, like if I had a coach like Will say this to me, I'd probably cry. I'm an emotional guy (laughs) Um, because I know you guys are really, really close, but I want to read this to you. Um, you know, and he says, I feel very privileged to say I was with him his first three years as he started to coach. And like a young player who you can see has all the intangibles to be a great player. It was very clear to me right away that Anth had all the intangibles to be a great coach. He teaches the right lessons. He has great knowledge of the game. He is an outstanding communicator. He's a winner. So, you know, Will's the man. He's the best. Um, I, you know, he where he's man. at right now, he's director of player development for, for Vegas. Um, what's that kind of mean to you that somebody like that has such great things to say? And what was he like as a mentor for you? Yeah, I mean, that, <laughs> you said that, that was almost tough to hear because I, I have so much so much respect for Will and I feel unbelievably fortunate and you obviously, you know him well, I feel unbelievably fortunate to have started my coaching career um, under a person like that, let alone throw out everything I learned from him hockey wise, just what he taught me about being a man and how to carry yourself and how to interact with people and, you know, how to lead with your heart and in, in certain situations um, you know, I think it was, it was really the, the, the starting block, you know, the building block of, of my coaching career. So, um, you know, it, it was a special time for me. I mean, here's a guy that, you know, was a coach of the year in the USHL and a young guy who, 
you know, was very successful in the game and, and he made a lot of decisions and none of them had anything to do with the financial side of the game. You know, he tried to align his roles and whatever he did with his morals. And that's something I've always tried to stick to is, is no matter what the compensation is, no matter what the level is or position is, you know, go somewhere where you know that your morals are aligned with the morals uh, of the people that you're going to be involved with. And, and that was probably the, one of the biggest things I took from Will. And, you know, like I said, aside from the hockey, which, you know, it was, uh, you know, a, a crash course in, in how to do things as a coach. But, um, you know, he, he taught me a lot about, uh, about just being a good person. And um, like I said, I feel unbelievably fortunate that that's who I was able to start my coaching career with. And, you know, it was at a trying time for our alma mater. Uh, Stevens Point, I believe, was coming off the worst year, um, you know, in, I think, 20 years for the program. Um, he was an alumni. I was an alumni. We're both former captains of the program. We have a lot of pride in the program, and we want to see it back on top. And, um, you know, we got to attack it together um, in trying to rebuild the thing and, and get it back to, to where you see it at now today. Yeah, and uh, I want to kind of go back to that because, you know, here you are, you know, you have won the USHL Coach of the Year. Um, you know, you were selected to be the head coach for Team USA at the World Junior A Challenge. Um, you know, Will Nickel is, uh, you know, Director of Player Development for Vegas. I mean, bo- both of you guys have big-time, big-time jobs. You know, and both of you guys started, you know, Will started as a volunteer coach um, at Miami, and you started as a, an assistant coach, Division Three. Talk to us. I was about- I was a volunteer. I was a volunteer division three assistant. That's about <laughs> as bottom of the barrel as you could start for two years. And like, you know, the, the first year we had another full-time assistant, but it's kind of crazy. Like the program actually cut that position after the first year. And oh, wow. So the, for two years, the second year, I was the only assistant. I was a volunteer. And the third year I got a very small stipend. So I was an officially an assistant, but um, I was essentially a volunteer for three years. So sorry to cut you off on the question, but yeah, it was, it was pretty much a volunteer division three assistant job. Oh man. Well, I mean, that just kind of even goes to like the, what, what the question was that I was going to ask is like, I feel like there's a lot of young guys and girls that are trying to get into the coaching game right now. And I think one thing that they don't understand is how many coaches that are at the highest of levels started out as volunteers, you know, started out as graduate assistants, you know, started out kind of on the bottom rung and then have had to work their way to the top. And, you know, so talk to us a little bit about your journey in the coaching ranks and kind of what you learned, I guess, when you were at the bottom rung, when you were a volunteer assistant coach for a division three school. I would say for anybody who thinks even slightly that that's what they want to do is be a coach, I would encourage you to be a volunteer assistant because I will guarantee you that within one month and probably less, you'll find out if it's really what you want to do. <laughs> to me, like that's, that's when you find out what you're made of. Like it's when you find out, is this really what I want to do? When you're overworked and like you hear the word overworked, underpaid, the phrase a lot, but like when you're overworked and not paid, that's like, is this really what you want to do? Do you really have this passion for it? Cause I think a lot of people, you know, instead of going that route, will maybe, you know, take a position. Oh, I'm, I was, you know, I'd love to work at the division one level or at the college level, but I can't afford to do it. So I'm going to start, you know, I'm going to take a youth hockey position. There's nothing against that. But if your goal is really to be at the top, you got to surround yourself with the right people. You have to learn from those people. Um, you know, and, and a lot of times, especially where I came from, or where a lot of young coaches come from, the only way to do that is, is to be a volunteer, make those relationships with those people, learn from them, 
and they've got a word in the hockey world where other people are going to listen and they can, you know, they can get you to a level you really want to be at. And, you know, for me, it was, it was everything. Like I said, I mean, at the time I was going to grad school. Um, so that alone was, was almost like a full-time job, but, you know, had, looking over recruiting, running study hall every night, um, you know, running practices, r- running video. I was doing all of our goalie sessions. Like there, there was a lot of different things, a lot of multiple hats that I had to wear in that position. And again, you're not getting compensated for it. And you just have to find a way to make it work. And, you know, for me, it's not like I came from a, from an affluent family where it's, Oh, no big deal. Like it was find a way to make it work. And I think if you do that, you'll, you'll find out what you're made of and and what your morals are as a coach. And if this is really what you want to do. And I think the lessons I learned during that, you know, I I then look at, you know, when I really think about it, the guys that I've hired, you know, I got the job in Youngstown and I had a chance to hire an assistant and I went and hired Rob Rassi, who was a volunteer at Northeastern. Here's a guy who was, you know, making a ton of money working in finance in Boston and also volunteering at Northeastern who was willing to leave and take a gigantic pay cut to come be an assistant coach in Youngstown, Ohio. And I decided to hire him. And now, you know, you see Rob now working at Harvard. And then the next time I had an opening, I hired John Ronan, who was the volunteer assistant at Union, who now is a full-time assistant at Union. You know, Ethan Goldberg, who's my associate coach right now, he was a volunteer at Bemidji State. Troy Thibodeau was a volunteer assistant at Merrimack. So I've tried to kind of not only pay that forward, but just it's how much respect I have for guys that have done that, because to me, they're in it for the right reason. If they've been able to do that, they're in this for the right reason. And those are the type of guys I want to surround myself with. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. I mean, that's, that puts it all into, into perspective. And I think any young coaches that are listening to this, I think that's such, such valuable advice. Cause you know, with this podcast and, and stuff that I've been doing and get a lot of people that kind of ask me, you know, how to get into it. And, and I basically tell them exactly what you said is surround yourself with, with the best people and then just do a really good job, you know, be a, be a hard worker and, and do a really good job. Don't get outworked. And, um, you said it a lot more eloquently and, and better than I could ever do it. So I thought, I thought that was really good, but let me ask you this, like having gone through that experience as the volunteer and having done all, all those jobs, what kind of perspectives does that give you as a head coach? You know, what kind of things do you think about and how do you kind of, I don't want to say treat your assistants, but how do you kind of structure your staff um, now as a head coach in the USHL, knowing the things that you know and knowing the, the growing pains that you went through? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest things, and again, I, I feel so fortunate, like you talk about a coaching tree. So Will took a lot of what he knew from his time working with Rico. Yep. And obviously that was a lot of what was passed down to me. And obviously that's a coaching tree you're very familiar with as well. So, you know, Will, there was never any, I'm the head coach and you're the assistant or you go do this while I sit up here and, and watch it. We were in it together and I was at the board and I was running meetings and I was, you know, I was doing every single thing that he did as a head coach. He made sure that I did. And that's something I'll never forget. And he would always say to me, he said, Hey, I want you to do this. And look, you're going to get better at it. But one day when you like, he would always say, you're going to be a head coach one day. And one day when you're a head coach, I don't want there to be anything that you have to do that you've never done before. You don't have experience doing. And I think like, I owe so much to him because listen, I mean, I was a young first year head coach and you know, obviously you get better at that, but I'm sure I was nervous at the board. I'm sure I was uncomfortable running video sessions. I'm sure I wasn't as comfortable, you know, on recruiting calls and probably wasn't as good. Definitely wasn't as good 
at those things as he was. And maybe it even detracted from our team's success, like in a minor way at times, but he was willing to do those things so that I could develop. And that was probably the biggest thing that I took forward in how I treat my staff and at least try to treat my staff is the same way. Like I, in my staff, one of my biggest rules is like, there's no egos and there's no titles. Like we're in this together. And I, and we talk about it the same way with the players. So, you know, I don't care if you're the equipment manager, if you're the volunteer assistant, if you're the top assistant, like everybody's opinion matters. Everybody's going to do everything everyone else does. And I want to do the same thing with the guys. I ask every guy that I, I, uh, that applies for an assistant coaching position with me. One of the first questions, usually the first question I ask him is, do you want to be a head coach? And if the answer is no, I, I don't think that makes that guy a bad coach. I don't think it makes him a bad person. Like I just, I don't know if that's the right fit for me. Like I want young guys who are driven and energetic and passionate and believe they could be head coach. And Hey, maybe they never will be. Maybe they'll find a, an assistant position they love, but I want guys no different than Will did that are driven and want to learn everything it takes to be a head coach and are going to be willing to do those things. So it's no different in tries. And I think this year, even more so than ever, just because of how big of a staff I had, you know, there were a lot of times, you know, there'd be days in a row where I would step back and the assistants, you know, so-called assistant coaches would run all the video sessions, run the majority of practice, run individual meetings. And I think because of that, they're just going to be that much better of coaches and that much more equipped. I think it gives a, a fresh voice to the players and I could kind of pick and choose my battles a little bit. So it's something that I've certainly tried to, to pay forward. Um, and you know, another thing Will always told me is just remember how people interact with you. You're going to meet a lot of people in the hockey world. Um, you're going to talk to a lot of people. I'm going to introduce you to a lot of people when we're down in Naples or when we're scouting and remember how they interact with you. Remember how they treat you when you're in this position and remember that because he always said, you're going to be a head coach one day and just remember it. You know, you're going to remember the people who treated you really well and had time for you when you were a Division Three assistant, and you're going to remember the people that didn't. And that's certainly something I've always tried to tell our staff as well. Like, no matter who it is, who reaches out, who calls you, who talks to you, we always treat people with an equal amount of respect because, number one, you never know where those people are going to be. And number two, like, we're hockey coaches. Nobody is above anybody else. Like, we're all in this, and if we're in this for the right reason, it's about the players and not about us. And, um you know, I think that that's something that I certainly have tried to take with me wherever I go. That's unreal, man. I mean, that's, that's so true too. Um, you know, you talk about like treating people, it doesn't matter, you know, what role they have on a staff, what school they coach at, what team they coach at or whatever. Like you got to treat people the right way because you never know, you never know. And that's one thing that Benny Sire, who I coached with at Cornell, who, you know, you know, he was unbelievable at that. And, uh, you know, you can yeah. be talking to, you know, the head coach of North Dakota, or you can be talking to an assistant coach of Wisconsin Stevens Point, like Benny's going to treat you the same way. And uh, it is, it's such a, such an important lesson to learn. But I wanted to go back to one thing that you said earlier, and that was, um, you know, you talk about we're all in this together. And one of the things that I always really respected about you as a coach, watching you coach when you were in Youngstown is like your best players worked so hard and did like all the dirty stuff that a lot of really good players don't want to do. Like I specifically remember watching a game and I don't remember who you guys were playing. I think I was chasing Chase Pearson at the time. Um, but you guys were playing against somebody and just like, 
it was the most physically grueling, grinding game, and it was led by your top guys like that were doing such an amazing job. I think Kyle Connor was even leading the charge. Um, so, like, what do you do to kind of make your best players play both sides of the puck? What do you do to make your best players do the little things? What do you do to kind of make sure that they're you know playing the right way and and uh, playing kind of like the team game that that you want to coach? Sure. I mean, I, I think like anything else, it's, it's a lot of it is just relationship based. And one thing I always tell young coaches and like when I, you know, if I'm ever asked my opinion on it and like, I always say, even when going all the way down to the youth level, like, I think if you watch, let's just say you watch a Mike practice and there's a kid who's got unbelievable hands and he skates like the wind, and he's flying up and down the rink. And then there's a kid who's in the corner banging his stick off the boards. Who is the coach spending more time with? Oh, you're asking us. So who are they? <laughs> yeah, I'm asking you guys. Who's the coach spending more time with? Probably. Like, if you watch that practice, who are they talking to more? Probably the top guy, I would say. See, I, when I watch, I see them worried about the kid who's not paying attention. Oh, okay. I see them worried about the kid who's banging his stick off the glass and just, oh, this kid's got to figure it out. He's good. Let's just leave him. Like, and I think when you go up the ladder, if you really – think about it and look at it. I think one of the biggest mistakes we, and listen, I'm guilty of it. Like no, as much as anybody else, I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is we focus the majority of our attention and more attention on the bottom guys and getting them better. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but I think a lot of times our top guys, we just kind of leave them alone, whether we don't want to ruffle feathers or whether they're the best player and we don't really need to work on much with them or whether it's, Hey, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to push the wrong buttons with them. And I, I, my approach has always kind of been the opposite. It, those are the guys, you know, as I've gone along in this further and further that I've tried to spend the most time with and challenge the most. And obviously I think because they're the ones with the most potential, I think they're the ones that you could get the most out of as well. Um, and, and it's a two way street. Like I, I just, I think there needs to be open dialogue and open communication. And I think you should be looking your best players eye to eye and, and, and spending time with them as much as possible. Um, and I think they want that like deep down. I think when you, when players these days, like they want to be taught, they want to be coached, they want to be pushed. Um, and especially the guys that are talented and driven and want to be better. And so I think like, one of the things I've always said to our like, guys, you know, like Kyle Connor, for example, like he was going to be under the spotlight, especially going into his draft year. And one of the things I would always talk to him about was let's make sure that nobody that's up in the stands watching you is ever going to say, well, if he's not in our top six, he can't play. You know, or if he's not in our bottom six, he can't play. I don't want anyone to ever pigeonhole you and say you have to be a certain thing. So let's round out your 200-foot game. And But I think there's got to be some give and take with it, too. You know, I'm not going to yell at you every time you turn a puck over at the blue line because the honest truth is I think you've got the ability to beat guys. You know, let's pick our spots well. Let's talk through it. Let's see what you saw in that certain situation. So like, I just think give and take, but being hard on those guys. Like I think you've got to be hard on your top guys. And – also empower like, Hey man, if you do it, what do you think the rest of the guys are going to do? Like if you go out and you lay out and you block a shot, what do you think our 12th forward's going to do? What do you think our fifth D man's going to do? Like they're going to, they're going to dive head first to go block a shot. So like what you do matters, how you carry yourself matters, especially when you're the top guy. And like, if I'm going to give you this, you need to give me this. And I just think like that working balance and that working relationship with your top guys is so crucial in team sports, because at the end of the day, and and you hear it all the time within teams, 
you know, maybe a top guy's getting away with certain stuff that the bottom guys aren't, or aren't being held to the same, you know, accountable. And I think that it hurts a team. It hurts a team internally. It hurts, you know, those bottom guys, like they just, they see that and they have a hard time grasping it. So I think if the top guys are doing it right, and they're the most skilled guys, like there's no doubt why they're getting given the rope that they are, you know, but if there's a little bit of gray area and there's a little bit of a question there, I think sometimes it, it could start a little bit of a turmoil within a team. He just definitely gave toll for a chubby. He does. He loves when the top <laughs> guys are out there doing all the little things and <laughs> blocking shots and, and that's his MO. But let me ask this only because I like to play devil's advocate. And I always believe that, you know, I played for Mike Hastings. I played at Western. We were blue collar teams. I was always a blue collar player, but my first seat, my second season over in Europe in Norway, we were playing a, a preseason game and you know, whatever it's like preseason, it really doesn't matter, especially for me being an older guy on the team. And we had a five on three against in overtime and I lay down and block a clapper. And I thought my kneecap, GM, I wound up being okay. The GM comes up to me after the game. He's like, don't you ever get in front of a one-timer again. <laughs> so in pro hockey, like it's kind of an interesting thing that I've been thinking about lately. Like, yes, I want my top guys going like, hard. Oh, I guess I just called myself a top guy. Not a big deal. I'm that team. <laughs> um, yes. I want my top guys going hard or whatever, but like, do you, is there a point where maybe it's like, Ooh, top guy, maybe you shouldn't slide two pad stack in front of one timer. Cause if we lose you, you know, that's, that's a big hit. What do you think about that? It's just something interesting. I've thought about. I mean, I, listen, I certainly think at the pro level, um, you may have to reevaluate that, you know, your guy who's, on a $12 million a year contract. Like, but at the junior level where we're still influencing these guys as young men and developing what they're going to be in their future, like, I would not be able to go to sleep at night. And I don't care if it was our leading score. Like if I ever told a guy like, don't go down and block a shot, I don't think I'd be able to look in the mirror. So like, I just, I don't have it in my being. It's just not <laughs> what I know. Now, again, you move up the ladder. I get it. Like I, I completely understand, but right now with these guys, um, I just think we, we owe it to them to instill, you know, the highest level of, of values as far as how you play the game the right way as we can, even if it, you know, and obviously this, this goes into a lot of different other areas, even if it hurts you in the short term, I just think, you know, whether it's, you know, wins, losses, bumps and bruises, things like that, even if it affects you in the short term, I just think you, we got to, we got to put the right, you know, mindset and the right approach and the right morals into these guys as players at the junior level. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and you know, a lot of times, like the the kids who might be top six in the USHL, they're going to be bottom six guys in college. And a lot of times, the guys who are top six in college or junior are going to end up being bottom six guys in in pro hockey. So having the ability to learn both sides of the puck and, and not cheat the game. I, I do. I agree with you. I think that's, I mean, it's so important for sure. Yeah. And I, I want to ask you this too, because this is something I texted Toph with last night or the day before that I wanted to ask you. So I, I own a training company. I work with a lot of, you know, kids, the pros, you know, and I have a lot of kids right now that are going to junior tryouts. And one of my guys, um, you know, he got cut from a team recently and he called me and was really upset and wanted to talk. And he was kind of like, you know, I was the best player on the team last year. Our team was really good. Like we were, you know, we went to nationals. 
all this stuff kind of about him and he goes to tryouts and doesn't make this team. And I was like, yeah, what did you do at tryouts? I don't care what you did last year. What, what did you do at tryouts? How much stock as a USHL coach are you putting into what kids who are coming in undrafted or whatever, how much stock are you putting into what they did last year versus what they show you at the tryouts at main camp? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a little bit of balance to it. Whereas a lot of the, a lot of what we're talking about is what we've seen that guy do with their normal team under their normal structure with their line mates, we're going to put as much stock into that as we possibly can. You know, having said that, that's a different level. This is a higher level, and there's a lot of guys that can make plays and, and are really skilled and power play guys at whether it be the midget level, whether it be a lower junior level, that come to our league and they're just not good enough to do that. So they also got to prove that they're able to do those things at our level. So, and, and I always like to use um, the analogy with guys, listen, at some point, like you want to play in the NHL, right? You want to play in the American League, right? Well, at some point, you're going to go to a training camp. You're going to have three days on the ice at an NHL training camp, and then they're going to assign you to a different team. Like, you're going to be in the NHL, you're going to be in the AHL, you're going to be in the ECHL. Now, sure, same way. A lot of stock and a lot of that is decided before, but a lot of it's what you do in those couple days as well. So I think anybody who says, oh, I just had a bad couple days of tryouts or that's reality of what you're going to have to be a part of at some point in your career if you want to make it. So, like, unless you're Sidney Crosby or McDavid or, like, which I don't see a lot of those guys floating around, like, <laughs> you better be ready to go for three days and play with linemates you've never played with and play, you know, without exact structure put in place and be an effective player. Because if you can, like, at some point, you're probably going to get stuck down. You're going to say that, and, you know, when you go to an NHL training camp and you wind up in the coast, you're going to say, well, you know, I was the leading scorer on my team last year. And these guys just don't know what they're talking about. Like it's on, at some point it's just on you. Like it, it's no different than the guy who doesn't get the ice time that he wants or is a healthy scratch when he doesn't want to be in at the end of the day, if you force the coach or you force management to take you because you're just that good, like they're going to take you, you know what I mean? Or if you leave it up to chance because of the way you played or the way you perform, you leave it up to chance. Yeah. Unreal. <laughs> Jeff, I see you smiling on the other side there. That's probably you're, you're going to post that to all your guys that, uh, that train with you. <laughs> um, but hey, I love it. Yeah. I, I wanted to shift a little bit and talk, uh, talk about the USHL cause we haven't had too many USHL, um, people on here. And, uh, you know, for me, I mean, I think honestly, USHL head coaching job is one of the toughest jobs in hockey specifically today, because, you know, Back when we played, you went to the USHL to get your college scholarship or get your college commitment. You know, so you had something to prove, you had something to earn. You know, today, you're getting a lot of kids on your team that are already committed to going to schools, almost using junior hockey as a stepping stone to get to where they actually want to be. So, my question to you is like, how do you balance that, you know? Um, with the situation that you're put in and that, you know, these kids already kind of know where they're going and just need a couple of years to, to freshen up before they get to college. I mean, I think it's, it's why it is of the utmost importance and you're absolutely right. The majority of guys we get already have commitment. So it's a little bit different. It's not like they're going to the fall classic and playing their butts off to get a commitment. Most of them have them already. Now there's the guys who are first year draft eligibles that are going to be getting seen, you know, every night. So there's that, but for the most part, it's you better get the right kids. You better get intrinsically motivated people 
in guys that are playing for the right reason. And the guys who, whether it's a Tuesday night in Des Moines or whether it's a Saturday night at home, like they strap up the gear, they're ready to go. And I think for us, that's something every place, you know, certainly in Youngstown and, you know, brought with us here to Tri-City is we put so much emphasis on the type of kids that we bring in. And I think a lot of times, and I mean, you watch my teams playing young, that we didn't always have the most skilled teams. We, we've always taken a lot of guys that maybe nobody else wanted or felt like they needed or were, were good enough, but they're guys that are just everydayers, you know, every day, no matter what they bring it, they're coming at you, they're competing, you know, their energy and the way they work is contagious. And, um, you know, again, I, a big part of it, it's why I said how important it is with your top players. Like I look back to when I was in, in Youngstown and Kyle Connor was the guy picking up the pucks every single day. It's like when he's the guy picking up the pucks and he's out there working, they're like, we'd go, we play a three and three. We'd play a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We took give the guys off Monday. And he'd be calling me saying, coach, can I just come please, come please be on the ice. That's Next okay. thing I know, I'd look down. There'd be 20, there'd, there'd be 23 guys out there. And I think it was no different this year, you know, in the success we had this year, when you got guys like Zach Jones and Ronnie Adder and Shane Pinto, and like just guys that just, worked at it. Connor McMinnon, they just worked at it. And I think it's so important, you know, to evaluate and make sure that you're getting guys that are there for the right reason. They realize what it is. They don't just see it as a stepping stone. They don't just see the, Oh man, you know, I, I have to go to the USHL because my college coach is telling me to go for a year or two. And then, you know, but I'm just getting ready for college. If you want to be a player and you want to develop and you want to get better and you want to grow up and you approach it the right way, in this league, every single thing is there for you to take advantage of. And to me, those are the guys that come to the USHL and they take off. And then I think you see a lot of guys, whether they're committed to big time programs or not, that just come to the league and, you know, either sputter out or, or just kind of stay the same. And, you know, to me, so much of it is mental and just the approach these guys have, um, you know, as far as what their goals are and what their vision is when they come into the league. And, you know, I think it's part of us is part of it's on us to, you know, evaluate that and do a ton of homework on them before we draft them or bring them in. You know, part of it's on us to make sure we, we cultivate the right type of environment, um, you know, of growth once they get here. Um, but I think part of it starts at the youth level, too, of, of instilling the right values in, in kids. And, again, just making sure that they're guys that, that come and are ready to work and, and have fun, but guys that just approach it with the right mindset every single day. Yeah, that's awesome. And kind of with that, you know, I'm still involved in the game and and still talk to a lot of guys at the college and the junior level. And, you know, one of the things you talk about the right kids that you have to deal with as a USHL coach is the rise of the decommitments in, you know, in the college game right now. And, you know, you see kids committing and decommitting at an alarming rate, specifically in in your league. You know, how do you deal with that? Because I know that people talk about it in the locker room. Like I've heard of, you know, guys telling me that kids openly talk about it and will, you know, almost like make fun of a kid who's going to a school that, you know, isn't as good as a school that he might be talent-wise should be going to, if that makes any sense. So, like, how do you... How do you manage that? How do you navigate that in your locker room? And how do you navigate that with your players? Because, the, again, the decommitments in college, it has to be a, a thing that you have to address with your players, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, it's something that we're not a big fan of. I mean, obviously, you give your word to someone, we believe you should honor it. Now, if something changes on the other end, um, you know, whether they pull back or they're not showing you love and something where we need to get in between and maybe communicate with the school and see if the, that player still wanted. 
um, completely understand. You know, if something changes in what was originally promised, things like that, I completely understand. But as far as just, you know, trying to go to something that you think is bigger and better, um, again, I think that comes back to the type of players that you get. Like, we want guys that stick to their word. We want guys that when they look you in the eye and say something to you, are, are going to stick to it. And whether that means they, you know, committed to a small school in Atlanta hockey or they committed to, you know, University of Wisconsin, like we, we expect guys to stick to that. Um, you know, it's funny. Like you, you meet with a kid, and Curtis Carr used to always give this example, and I think he hit it dead on. You meet with a kid that's uncommitted, and you ask him, where do you want to go to school? And what do they say? They say, you know, I want to go to North Dakota. I want to go to BC. I want to go to, like, Notre Dame. And they, you guys, like, those schools have nothing whatsoever in common. You know, like one school's giant, in the, you know, in here, one school's in a city. Like, they, they really don't have any idea. And it's why I think we, we need to do a much better job just encouraging kids, like, just play college hockey. Find a place that you love and that fits you and play college hockey. You're going to have a great experience. But the biggest thing is find the place where you go and you feel at home. Find the place where you go, you look the coach in the eye, and you feel comfortable, and you say, you know what? This is a guy that can make me better. This is a guy that can make me a better person. This is a guy that can make me a better hockey player. This is a guy I have a ton of respect for. And you know what? I spent a bunch of time with the players and the team, and I had a blast. And you know, like they, we all say it, but college should be the best four years, whether it's three or two. You know, if you sign early, it should be the best time of your life. So go to the place where you're going to have the most fun, but you're also going to get a good education. You're going to develop, um, you know, all those things. Like that, that should be what it's about. And if that's you know, a small school in the ECAC or in Atlantic hockey, or if that's, you know, a school in the big 10 or NCHC, like don't worry about what the outside world says. And that's, that's something I always try and encourage our guys. Like I always tell them, go on as many visits as possible. Go check every place. out. Now, if you go to a place and it's undeniable, like, Hey, that's home for me, then commit. But until you feel that feeling, which to me you should feel. And I know it's what I felt when I went to Stevens point. And I don't think it's changed for, for a young guy that's passionate about the game. Until you find that place, keep searching, you know, find the right place and make sure it's the right fit for you. Not because the outside hockey world says this, not because they have this history, you know, find the place that that, that's going to be home for you and is going to help you achieve your, your goals and your dreams. And, you know, I think if we, if we can focus on that a little bit more and not just the prestige of the school, I I think we'll do ourselves a lot of justice. I mean, that's just life in general too. I mean, like I see all these people that my friends that I played with or whatever, they get done with hockey and they're working jobs. They absolutely hate. They don't like their lives. And for me, it's like, find what you love and then try, try and make that your career. And it's the same thing with school. And I love that you said you got on Stevens Point's campus and you were like, yep, this is home. This feels right. I never even heard of Western Michigan when their coaches came up and talked to me. Obviously there was no social media back then, like the hockey websites, like it wasn't like that big. I'd never heard of them. And, and so I went to on the campus and like within 10 minutes, I was like, Oh my God, I really like this place. I like the guys on the team. I like the coaches. And I think I'm going to play a lot here as a freshman. And for me, that was a big deal because even though no one else thought this about me, I was like, I'm not playing four years of college. I want to sign and leave early. So like all those things combined, I don't care what anyone else said. I had offers to really big schools, but they were like a two for four, one for four, three for four. I went to Western. And it was like, yep, this is the place for me. And I don't care what anyone else thinks. Yeah. It's a good thing. There wasn't Twitter back then because then you would have just wanted to do it and get it over with and get it on Twitter. So people thought you were really cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
What what is what are the words they always use, Tolf? What are they like? Thanks to my f- coaches, family, and friends that have helped along the way. Oh yeah, have proud, your own brain, proud to announce dot dot dot. <laughs> Let me tell you, I, I don't I don't have Twitter, and I don't know if there's ever been a day in my life where I've regretted it for one second. <laughs> so true. Oh, that's funny. Well, let me ask you one more question about, you know, about the USHL and the fact that it's a tough job. You know, you're a developmental league, but you're also a league that uh, that has an owner that wants to win. Right. And so it's almost like you have so many different people in your ear, probably telling you the job that you should be doing in terms of how you're playing kids. You know, you got the college coaches, you know, who obviously want a finished product when they get to them and, and want them playing in a certain role. You got agents who want certain kids playing a certain role, but then you got an owner who's like, you know, I, we want to win because we want to get people in the seats and all that kind of stuff. Like how do you navigate the craziness of, you know, all these people that have so much investment in these kids and where they want them to play and how much they want them to play and all that kind of stuff balancing that with balancing development with balancing winning you know that's that's a lot of stuff how do you kind of navigate those waters yeah and i mean there is without a doubt like you there is so much noise out there especially (laughs) when it comes to this level and so many opinions and in so many voices like i I think it, it comes back to what we talked about when we were talking about Will Nickel and, and kind of the values he instilled in me. And when I was, you know, looking for my next coaching job, whatever it was going to be, and, um, you know, USHL was a possibility. Um, I, I just, this is the dead honest truth. Kirk Brooks and I, who's the owner in Tri-City, um, we jumped on a phone call and it was just a preliminary, hey, introduction phone call. Somebody set us up. Um, and the first thing he asked me was, you know, what's your coaching philosophy? You know, and I just talked to him about, hey, my belief is that you develop people, you develop players, you get to know your players, you spend time with them, you care for them. You know, everything you do has to do with getting them better suited for the next level. And if you do that and you're encouraged to do that, and you're supported to do that, and you're allowed to do that, winning should kind of take care of itself. And Kirk's exact words were, it's like you just read my, you know, I think you might've read a previous interview of mine or something like that, because that's exactly what I believe in. And I'd like for you to be our head coach. Can you get on a plane tomorrow? And come? <laughs> and it was literally, I mean, I don't know if we talked on the phone for six minutes and I got on a plane. I went and sat down with wow. him and we hammered out a contract in 20 minutes and we enjoyed the rest of the weekend. And for me, it's, it's what are your morals and align where you go Make sure, whether it's an athletic director, a GM, an owner, whatever it might be, whether it's a youth, you know, youth program uh, president, whatever it is, make sure that your, your morals are aligned with the morals of the people you're working with. Um, and if it's not, maybe it means you don't get to the higher level. But don't settle for something just to get to the higher level. And like, so when I came in here with Kirk, that was his, his goal you know, he, he owns the rink in Vegas and he lives out there. His whole thing is he wants the guys to have a great time. He wants them to develop. He wants them to get college commitments. He hopes in 10 years when they're done playing hockey, if they're in Vegas for a bachelor party or visiting friends or whatever, they give them a call. They want to go have a beer with them. And they just want to say, thanks for, for letting me have a great time in Tri-City. And so I couldn't be, and we as a staff and players can be any more fortunate to have an owner where, and obviously I hope I don't ever test this, but if we went 0-60 and our guys were having a blast and they were getting better and they were developing, they were moving on to the next level, he's happy. And that's what he judges my job based on. 
Um, and like I said, because of that, I, I'm extremely fortunate. And, you know, I, I don't know if I could be someplace just where, where those weren't the goals. And that wasn't the vision uh, of the person I'm working that with. So to me, it, it starts at the top. And the fact that we're encouraged to do that. And, you know, the other thing is he gives us the resources. You know, there's, there's, if it's something and a question comes up and I ask, hey, Kirk, we want, want to do this because it's best for the players, the answer is always going to be yes. Um, and to me, if you're owning a junior hockey team and you're involved in that, that's what you, that to me is being in it for the right reason. That to me is being in it for the kids, not because you're trying to make money or turn profit. Cause that's great too. And obviously he'd like to do that, but first and foremost, he's in it for the, for these young men. And, you know, for me, that's why it makes it an easy person to, to want to work with and, and, and be attached to. I'm going to Vegas. I'm going to Vegas in June. Can I give him a call? You get, we got our trial camp there. You're welcome to come, to come stop by and meet him. <laughs> Dangerous. <laughs> That's so good. Well, <laughs> well Anth, before we let you off here, um, wanted to ask you one more question because, uh, you know, it's always been a dream of mine to, you know, wear the USA colors and, and either play or coach for, for team USA in a competition. You were able to be the head coach at the world junior a challenge, uh, this fall. Um, what was that experience like for you in, uh, you know, taking a, a big group of guys from the USHL to go play against international competition for team USA. And, you know, also with that, how do you, how how do you navigate coaching a team in, in such a small window? I think it was only what two weeks when you got all these guys coming from different teams uh, coming in as well. Yeah, I was. I mean, as you said, you you get into it at a, a young age, and it's funny. There was a, a couple of years ago. I told people the story when I got the when I got asked to to, um, to coach the team by Mark Boxer and, and John Van Beesbrook and the guys at USA Hockey. And there was a there was a flood about ten years ago or so. Um, in my neighborhood in Chicago. And as you know, we got basements and crawl spaces and um, a bunch of stuff was destroyed. And my parents were just kind of trying to salvage what they could. And one of the things they found was a picture. It was, it was a second grade project that I had. And it was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And draw a picture of it. And the picture that I had drawn was a picture of me standing on a bench and the guys in front of me were all wearing USA hockey jerseys. No way. So obviously I don't remember that. And there was no writing of what, you know, there was no writing description, but it was what I want to be when I grew up. And it showed me coaching. Yeah. So like, to me, it's, it's a dream. I mean, for anybody who, who, you know, plays a sport to be able to wear your country's colors um, and represent them. It, it's a dream. Obviously there was a lot of, a lot of nerves that went along with it. Because it's, you know, you, you take pride in it and it matters. Like that tournament matters. It matters for our league. It matters for USA hockey. Um, you know, and, it, and it's uh, something that could be a special experience for the players that were part of it. And, you know, for me, it, there was a couple parts. So, number one, it was an unbelievable opportunity for Ethan Goldberg, who's, who's the associate coach in Tri-City, to take over. Um, you know, you want to make sure, you're, first and foremost, your loyalty lies with the team that you're coaching. So I knew our guys were in great hands. The, the staff I had there this year was unbelievable. And I knew that the team in Tri-City was going to be in good hands. So Kirk Brooks and Steve Lowe were gracious enough to let me, to let me go, and they supported me in the decision, which was awesome. Um, Mark Boxer, the, the amount of work he puts in for that event, like it's, it's unbelievable. He, he basically yes, lives on the road for months wa- watching games and, and identifying players. And, you know, that's, it, it's, you're basically having two full-time jobs because you're running your team during the day. You're on the phone at night talking to box and, and the rest of the staff. And you're trying to figure out, okay, who fits what, what we want. And the, the thing I said from the very beginning is let's just get a group of kids that we love that are our type of guys, blue collar, high character guys. And maybe we won't have the best players, 
but we're going to have a group of guys that are going to be bought in. They're going to be selfless. They're going to be in it for the right reason. I think when we first put that team out there, there were a lot of, there were a lot of people scratching their heads with some of the guys we took. And we, if you look at it, there were, there were some guys in that didn't have a lot of points in the league and maybe weren't as experienced in the league and weren't committed to big time schools. And, um, there were a lot of questions, but you know, myself, Mark Boxer, you know, had an unbelievable staff with Shane Fukushima, David Wilkie. Um, and like, they did an unbelievable job. Like they were, they, they worked their butts off. They were in it for the right reason. Um, in Mark Avalon as well. Um, and once we picked that team and we got up there, the number one goal was how do we get it? So these guys are all bought in. Cause I knew if we had them bought in, that like, listen, we, we were honest with the guys. We play in the best league. We have the hardest competition. There's nobody more prepared for an event like this than we are, but everybody's got to be on board. And that was our number one goal from the very beginning. I'll tell you what, aside from anything else, to me, the biggest win in that event was every single guy was bought in. So guys that were on the power plate or used to being on the first power plate guys that maybe only got three shifts in the gold medal game, whatever it was, Every single guy, like there was never one instance of bad body language, you know, a guy feeling sorry for themselves, selfishness, anything like you felt it on our bench from the start of the tournament till the very end of the tournament. That for me was the end all be all. That was all I needed to know that, that we had the right group. And, um, you know, and at the end of the day, we wound up winning the gold medal too. So it was, it was a special group. It was an unbelievable experience. As we said to the guys, it's something that only the guys that sat in that locker room and that were there and that experienced it would know how hard it is. I mean, you're playing five games, uh, or six games, excuse me, in eight days. And you're playing against elite competition. I mean, the, the team that we play in the gold medal game is the team that, that uh, essentially the exact same team that just beat um, the U.S. 18s at the, the under-18 championship a couple weeks ago in the semifinal. So, you know, guys like Pod Colson, and, you know, I think they have three three to five first-round NHL picks on that team. Like, they were loaded. Um and it was, you know, you're on Canadian soil, so you're, you're kind of you against the world and, um, you know, tried to band the guys together. And it was, I mean, for me, it was as special as it gets in coaching and, and something I'll certainly never forget and forever be indebted to, to box and the guys at USA Hockey and, and guys like Abby and Fuki and, and Wilkes that were on the staff to me as well because they all just did an unbelievable job. Yeah, that's unreal, man. And uh, I'm sure we can do a whole other podcast on some uh, Wilkie stories. He's a character for sure. I used to love watching him coach <laughs> when he was coaching that Omaha U16 team back in the day. He's an intense fellow, that one, that's for sure. Was he like that with you guys too? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, like, it was funny because when I put the staff together, a lot of people were telling they're like, well, whoa, you went like, it's kind of like bad cop, bad cop, bad cop. <laughs> a, lot of alpha, a lot of alpha males there on staff. Because if you know Mark Avalon or you know Shane Fukushima, like they're alphas. And I've always yep. said that to me, when I put a staff together, I just want the smartest guys. I want the best guys, the smartest guys, the best coaches. I don't have an ego. If you've got something that you could bring to the table that's better than mine, like I want to hear it. And for me, it was, let me just get the smartest guys and the guys I think are the best coaches in the league. I don't care if they're head coaches, assistants. And let me just, just help them all work together. Find a way to make them all be cohesive together. And um, that's what I really felt my job was. And, you know, something I took from P.K. O'Hanley, who, who coached it the year before, he just said, hey, you know, in, encourage the other guys to coach. Make sure that they're involved in all the detail. And make sure you lead with the heart. Make sure you, you know, you're emotional and you're passionate and you get that through the guys. And that was kind of the way I looked at it going in. And those guys were unbelievable from the from the detail side and, and from the X and O side. And, 
Um, like I said, it helps when you got a group of guys that are just completely bought in. So it, it was special. Unreal, man. I love it. Well, thanks so much for taking the time uh, out of your uh, retirement schedule out there in Arizona to uh, <laughs> to, to come and, and talk to us. Um, this has been this has been great, and uh, appreciate uh, all you've done in the game. Uh, it was fun watching you coach and being able to talk hockey with you back when I was coaching at Cornell and you were at Youngstown. You're certainly one of the top young coaches in the game right now. So um, keep up the great work, man, and uh, look forward to seeing Tri-City win another Anderson Cup and uh, hopefully maybe even a Clark Cup next year. So uh, appreciate you coming on and uh, uh, keep up the great work. Thank you guys for having me. And and I appreciate what you guys are doing for, you know, I think something like this is great for, for young coaches and young players and even experienced coaches and players um, and and sharing information. It's awesome. So, you know, as much as we could get our game out there to people, I think it's, it's it's what we need. It's what our game needs right now is is spreading it and promoting it. So appreciate what you guys are doing. Yep. Thanks man. And uh, we'll, we'll be sure Jeff's going to be a little sour because he's not the best looking guy on the podcast today. So it might be the first time it's happened so far. So (laughs) hopefully we can, uh, we can help his bruised ego a little bit after this too. So (laughs) good luck. Good luck. All right. Thanks man. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thank you guys.